Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, I'm Alfie Scott. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. This week, Tasmania became the first state in Australia to outlaw the Nazi salute. It's part of a trend of state and territory governments taking a stand against far-right extremism, with other states banning the swastika last year. All of this legislation is a reaction against a growing far-right movement in Australia and recent protests that have seen public displays of support for racist ideologies. But does banning things like the Nazi salute and Nazi symbols actually do anything to slow the growth of these movements? And what else could governments be doing to curb the rise? But first, your news headlines for Tuesday, August 22nd. Storm Hillary has battered parts of California and the US Southwest since making landfall on Sunday. Some areas are continuing to face the threat of flash flooding, landslides and mudslides as the storm brings record-breaking downpours. About 17 million people were under flood and high wind advisories, watches and warnings as the storm moved north up through Las Vegas and parts of the northwest. Palm Springs in California has been one of the hardest-hit communities, with videos posted to social media showing flooded streets and debris flows. The UK nurse, who has been exposed as one of Britain's most prolific serial child killers in modern times, will spend the rest of her life behind bars. Lucy Letby, a 33-year-old former neonatal nurse who murdered seven babies and attempted to kill six others, has received a rare whole-life order, which is the most severe sentence possible under British law. Justice James Goss said that during the trial, Letby had coldly denied any responsibility for her wrongdoing and had no remorse. Letby was absent during the sentencing, which is permitted in British courts, but politicians and victim advocates are now calling for changes in the law to force criminals to appear for sentencing. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said that it was cowardly that people who commit such horrendous crimes do not face their victims and hear firsthand the impact that their crimes have had on them and their families and loved ones. The president of Spain's football federation, Luis Rubiales, has apologised for giving Spanish striker Jenny Hermoso an unsolicited kiss at the Women's World Cup final. During the victory celebrations on Sunday evening, Rubiales planted a kiss on Hermoso's lips, a move which has sparked outrage across Spain and around the world. In a video statement posted by the federation, Rubiales said that he was wrong, but it was a gesture made without bad faith. Hermoso told teammates afterwards in the locker room that she didn't like it, according to video footage that was posted to social media. However, she later downplayed these comments to a Spanish news agency, saying that it was a mutual and spontaneous gesture. Researchers are warning that websites selling home fertility tests are making misleading claims about their usefulness and could incorrectly influence plans to conceive. 
Websites are selling egg timer tests that measure levels of anti-malarian hormone in the blood direct to consumers in Australia. A majority of the websites selling the tests are making unsupported claims that the test is a reliable predictor of fertility, and researchers from the University of Sydney are cautioning women that the egg timer test can't reliably predict current or future fertility in the general population. And an Indian spacecraft is on track to attempt a landing on the moon after a Russian mission failed when its lander smashed into the moon's surface. The Indian Space Research Organization have released images of its spacecraft at the far side of the moon as it heads for an attempted landing on the lunar south pole. The Chandrayaan-3 spacecraft had been in a race with Russia to be the first to land on the south pole, a region that's thought to contain frozen water that could support a future moon settlement. Rough terrain makes landing in this region difficult, but a first landing would be an historic moment. That's your latest news headlines. In a moment, today's deep dive into Tasmania's ban of the Nazi salute and if laws like this can stop the rise of the far right in Australia. This week, Tasmania passed a law that bans the Nazi salute as well as outlawing the Nazi swastika. The law will come into effect later this year and comes with a three-month prison sentence for first-time offenders. Tasmania's Attorney General and Minister for Justice, Elise Archer, said that the salute, a gesture that was known as a greeting in Nazi Germany, not only promotes hate against Jewish people, but also against other minority groups. Archer said that she's pleased to have driven the reforms and that they represent a condemnation of hate and will help the state deliver a safer and more caring community for all. Some countries have long held bans of the Nazi salute, including Germany and other countries that were occupied by the Nazi regime during World War II, including Austria, the Czech Republic, Slovakia and Poland. Other countries like Switzerland, Sweden and the UK have broader laws that can be used to prosecute people who use the salute or other Nazi symbols. Now Australia is catching up. The Tasmanian laws are part of a trend of legislation in Australia, with other states and territories, as well as the federal government, taking measures to ban symbols of far-right extremism. Late last year, both Victoria and New South Wales passed laws banning the intentional display of the Nazi swastika. In New South Wales, displaying a Nazi flag or any other memorabilia with the swastika on it could land offenders in jail for up to a year, along with a fine of $100,000. And Victoria have passed laws that make it a criminal offence to intentionally display the swastika in a public place or in public view. Anybody who commits the offence could face a $22,000 fine and or 12 months imprisonment. At the federal level, the government announced back in June that it will introduce legislation to ban Nazi symbols and the sale of any goods for profit featuring them. It would be an amendment to counter-terrorism laws, and the bill bans symbols related to the Nazis or SS, including flags, armbands and T-shirts, with a maximum penalty of 12 months imprisonment. There have been campaigns from groups targeted by Nazis, including the Jewish community, for a long time to ban these symbols. But these law changes have largely been prompted by the rapid growth of far-right extremism in Australia. Far-right extremism and Nazi ideology have seen huge growth in Australia in recent years, particularly during the pandemic, and there have been a number of public controversies involving neo-Nazi demonstrations since 2020. 
Earlier this year, a group of neo-Nazis led an anti-trans demonstration outside Victoria's parliament, and they repeatedly performed the Nazi salute, which has led the state to consider banning it as well. Social media and encrypted messaging apps have made it easier for extremism to spread, and far-right ideologies have started to pose a significant threat to national security. Mike Burgess, the Director General of the Australian Security Intelligence Organisation, or ASIO, said in February that they'd seen a rise in nationalist and racist violent extremism that made up about 50% of the agency's caseload in the past couple of years. Dr Josh Roos is an Associate Professor of Politics at Deakin University who has been researching far-right extremism in Australia. Josh, why are states and territories acting to legislate against the Nazi salute and other symbols now? Why didn't this happen a long time ago? I think, obviously, legislation is driven by contemporary events and a need to respond forcefully, in some cases, to those events. So what we've seen over the last decade has been an increase in far-right activity, and and in many respects, we've seen the public dimension of that far-right activity on an unprecedented scale something we haven't seen for generations in Australia. And so we know that far-right extremist groups are seeking to mobilise to grow their movements, and they do that through a variety of mechanisms. They do attempt to recruit online, but public stunts, including, for example, the recent use of the Nazi salute outside the Victorian Parliament, are designed to, on the one hand, provoke fear and incite hatred in the community, but also to recruit, particularly if it's got this sort of countercultural power to it, that people who feel disengaged, angry, alienated might be attracted to the movement because of the use of those salutes. And how else do these movements recruit people outside of those public demonstrations? They're very active online. They run many, many different forums in online mechanisms like Telegram, so encrypted messaging apps that are beyond the reach of sensors and regulation. And often what they'll do is either join mainstream conversations or slightly non-mainstream conversations, libertarian thinking, for example, or freedom movement type telegram forums, and they will sort of attempt to sow and to seed those conversations by steering them in a certain direction by making a couple of contributions to that. They then direct people to other forums, and it's an attempt to slowly integrate them and pull them in to a more extreme form of thinking, and that's known as breadcrumbing. And they're quite skilled at it. It's one of the online mechanisms they use. But also we need to understand more about the face-to-face dimension, which is, you know, the use of clubhouses, gyms and and so on to attempt to pull people in as well. I'm going to ask the obvious question now. Is banning the salute or the swastika effective in curbing the rise of far-right extremism, especially when you're saying that there are so many other modes of recruitment? It's an important step because the use of the swastika, the use of Nazi salutes, has this deeper embedded cultural significance in Australia and across the world. It's directly linked to the horrors of the Holocaust, to genocide, to atrocity, and really it's used very, very commonly by these groups as a way of attracting people who might be looking for something as I said, countercultural, something a little bit dark to sort of belong to and to feel part of. It's a weapon in their arsenal. They use it to recruit, they use it to inspire fear and to spread hatred. And so banning it, it's not going to make the far right go away, but it does take an important dimension of their activism away from them. 
and it enables authorities to identify anyone who does use it, given that people are aware of the laws as a Nazi, as someone associated with one of these movements, and to monitor and to take action against them accordingly. Can we speak a little bit more about the type of people that are really drawn to these movements? How do you know if somebody might be vulnerable to listen to these kind of ideologies? And why did we see such a specific rise in far-right extremism throughout, say, the COVID pandemic? Yeah, there's probably two important dimensions to that that really good question. And the first is in terms of why people might be attracted to these movements is a variety of reasons. But we know that primarily their membership is made up of angry younger men. We know that men who might feel like they're going nowhere, there's a sense of a stagnant or in a downward social trajectory, they're looking for something to belong to, something bigger than themselves. And so these far-right extremist organisations, which position themselves as clubs, you can join the clubhouse, you can train with them, you know, you become a member of something. And so that offers for some people an important sense of belonging that they might not otherwise have found. But we also know that to a broader level, there are significant issues out there in the community. The cost of living crisis, the you know, unaffordability of housing, the basic rapidly increasing gap between rich and poor. It creates opportunities for those who are seeking to polarise society to you know, basically throw out their ideas that may resonate with a wider pool of people. So the far right are very anti-immigration. And so in the context of a housing crisis and an economy that's not working for people, the idea of more migrants coming in could be seen as anathema to their particular life circumstance. And so what they're seeking to do is cast a wide net and to actually gain a wider following out there in the community for those who might oppose migration to Australia. That's how these movements operate. They seek to use polarising issues, the trans issue, you know, drag queen story time, the matter of local councils and their role in society, migrants in our society, and that they seek to polarise and then they seek to grow. Speaking about banning things like the salute, won't these groups just find other ways to signal or communicate to one another, like the use of the OK symbol? Yeah, and that's a point commonly made. Many people criticise these laws for two reasons. As you say, one, they'll just come up with alternative symbols, and two, that you know, you're crushing free speech is the other basic idea. You're not crushing free speech because there will be exceptions made. So satire... You know, people will be able to study these symbols. Museums will be able to use them. It's about using them for the wrong reasons. And when it comes to alternative symbols, well, they don't carry the same weight. It carries nowhere near the cultural resonance or the power, symbolic power and symbolic capital, so to speak, of the Nazi salute. What else could our governments be doing beyond these kind of clampdowns on these symbols? Is there anything else that state and federal governments could be doing to try and curb the rise of far-right extremism? Look, they certainly are attempting, I suppose, a whole-of-government approach to some of these issues. It really is required that we don't just securitise and just look at the violent dimension of the problem. We have to look at what's driving these deeper-seated challenges in society that people might be attracted be it populism, like far-right populism. We haven't really seen the emergence of far-left populism in Australia in that same way. But, you know, the Trump populism and the potential for that to flare up again with the new election coming up, it could be really, for me, about addressing deepening inequalities in the community, particularly in our regions, particularly in the country towns where people can no longer buy a house in the town that they grew up in. It can be literacy, a literacy amongst our kids at school 
to not only be able to identify extremism when they come across it online, but also then to be able to you know, act upon it, to report it or to be able to discuss it and to actually be able to start to see through it. And that's one of the major challenges is that much of these extremist ideas are sugar-coated in you know, material excess or in the sort of machismo of fighting, whereas if you can actually get our kids in schools not to take a political stance because, you know, that's not really allowed within the curriculum, but to actually identify extremist sentiment and to talk about it, to steer clear of it, that's going to be another critical dimension and front line in many respects as we go forward. The Quickie is produced by myself, Elfie Scott, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon. <laughs>